Abraham was a wealthy man. Children, grandchildren, livestock, barns, cattle, land, he had it all. He walked away from it all to follow the living God. That's how powerful the call of God is. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. As we prepare now to hear God's Word in Holy Scripture, let us turn to God in prayer. Oh God, your Word is a light unto our feet and a lamp that guides our pathways through all of life. Grant now that by your Holy Spirit we may hear your word, take it deeply to heart, and embody it in our lives. Through Christ, the living word. Amen. A reading from Genesis 12, 1-9, which is found on page 17 in the Pew Bible. There's a lot of Genesis in the New Testament, but it is not on page 1590, whatever. (laughs) Page 17. Hear the word of God. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ion on the east, there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The Kirking of the Tartan is always a special occasion and one that we look forward to between having it one year and welcoming it again. If you are visiting this morning, we are delighted to have you and particularly to the St. Andrew Society. Thank you for joining us this morning. It means a huge amount to have you with us. This is also the time when I'm reminded that Scottish immigration began approximately, or at least the first organized immigration began around 1739. 
And in the 2009 U.S. Community Census Survey, 6.85 million people said they were of direct Scots descent. Another 27.5 million would say they are part Scots, part Irish, part Scots, part Italian or German, and so there's a lot of us around. Scots particularly settled in North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Kentucky, and Tennessee. And in the days leading up to this service, I will receive multiple copies of emails filled with Scottish jokes. And... (laughs) This past week, I received one, and the question was this. How does one define a Scottish gentleman? A Scottish gentleman is someone who can play the bagpipes, but chooses not to. (laughs) Now, that kind of scurrilous remark will... Clearly, it will begin an international incident if we're not careful. But it is a wonderful thing when we can look back and celebrate our heritage and our ancestors. And some of you have ancestors from Germany and Russia and Italy and Switzerland, Australia, Canada, all over the world. And today as we come to Genesis chapter 12 and a new series of studies on the life of Abraham, we don't do so by chance. And for those of you who were paying attention, you will have noticed that the opening words of Genesis chapter 12 read like this. And the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Your Scottish ancestors, Italian, German, French, Canadian, most of our ancestors had a similar call at one stage or another. I suspect down through the years that many of them would turn to Genesis chapter 12 and look again at the story of Abraham. Abraham is a central figure. He is a vital character in the eternal purposes and plans of God. Over these next few Sundays, not only will we look at Abraham, we will look at his descendants, And we will notice this, that Abraham is one of the most important people in the entire scriptures. When you come into the New Testament, the first book, the Gospel of Matthew, in verse 2 mentions Abraham. Abraham, the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah. And so on. And our temptation on a Sunday morning or whenever we're opening the scriptures together and we come to that section in Matthew's gospel called the genealogy is to skip over it and get into the meat of the gospel. What's the point in reading all these lists of names? But the point is this, that Matthew was saying that there is a direct line from the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem all the way back to Abraham. And in our opening prayer this morning, you would hear Dr. McSween talk of the covenant promises of God. And those covenant promises begin in Genesis chapter 12. And we'll see them again in chapter 17 and 16 and hear echoes of them over these several Sundays together as we open up Genesis again and again. And think for a second 
of the surprising intensity of the call of God. Abraham comes on to the stage of history to highlight and underline for us the redemptive purposes of God. And Abraham was not brought up in a godly family. In fact, the opposite was the case. In Genesis chapter 24 tells us, he, or Joshua 24 rather, tells us that he knew nothing of God. And can you begin to imagine how that felt the first time that God reached out and touched the heart and mind and soul of Abraham? And his life was utterly transformed. And for the first time, he knew the reality of the living God. And his heart was changed forever. And can you imagine his family when he comes to them and says, we have to leave. We're going to the land of Canaan, 800 miles to the north and then west and back to the south again. Can you imagine his family his wife that first night saying, now, Abraham, hold on. <laughs> just, just take it easy. How are, we, how are we going to get there? How are we going to afford the transportation? What about our servants and our children and our grandchildren? Abraham was 75 years old. Can you imagine what it would take to teach an old dog new tricks? At 75, I suspect his family and friends would look at each other and... What's happened to him? What on earth has gone on? They'd look at each other and say, give him a few days. He, he'll get over it. But there was that deep, insistent transformation by the grace of God. And Abraham was a different man. And he had no choice... He was so deeply convicted, so utterly sure that God was calling him. And so they left. They had to leave his country, his community, members of his wider family, and go to another place. That experience has not been restricted to Abraham down through the centuries. Some of our forefathers and ancestors had a similar experience. And of course, all questions would be asked. What are we going to do for a living? Where shall we live? What will the children do about an education? And of course, the children would be asking, in that new world, in those colonies, do they have moon pie and RC cola? <laughs> These are big questions. And each day Abraham was reassured by the presence and knowledge that God was walking with him. And his heart and mind were utterly changed and transformed. And it wasn't just for Abraham. And it wasn't just for our ancestors. But some of your children and grandchildren will go through similar, a similar scenario when they have a job in San Diego or Seattle or Chicago, or even in Charleston. Big questions that need to be answered. In the midst of all those big questions, God was firmly at work, leading, guiding, protecting, walking with Abraham. 
And notice what the passage says, verse 4. And so Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. What does it take to leave the familiar and the known for the unknown and the untried with all the questions pressing? What does it take to allow your heart and soul and mind to soar heavenwards? To understand that in all the days to come with all of its potential and all of its excitement to have that convicting, energizing resource of God himself moving you forward, walking with you, reassuring you. That takes courage, but it also takes obedience, and it takes submission, and it takes surrender to the purposes and will of God. And I wonder... If over the last four, five, six months you've started to come to worship here on a Sunday morning and at first you weren't quite sure when to stand and when to sit or where you're sitting in someone's seat and what's the hymn book and what are the leaflets and where is the Bible and it gets all a little confusing but as one week goes to another, goes to another what you've discovered is this that you're becoming familiar again with the things of God, that you're beginning to have an appetite and an appreciation for the sacred, that hymns are beginning to make sense, and worship is becoming a priority, and prayer is something that you now look forward to, and God in His sovereign, gracious call has been drawing you closer and closer to Himself, and it's beginning to make sense, and your family are now saying, What's happened to you? What is going on? You're different. That's what Abraham went through. And millions down through the centuries have experienced exactly that. And you know that on a Sunday morning, your deep, lasting, abiding conviction is that you want to be here for worship. At last, God has become someone you know and you have intimacy with Him and can't wait to follow Him. That's what was going on with Abraham. That's what goes on still today in our own lives. And Abraham fully surrendered. And in submission, followed God. Now let me ask you a question, if I may. When Abraham is called of God to leave his country and his fathers and his wider family and to go to a new land, what if Abraham had said, well, I appreciate the compliment, but... I'm not the man you're looking for. That's not the kind of person I am. I couldn't do all that you're asking me to do. I couldn't leave my family and my friends and go out from the comfortable to the uncomfortable, from the mundane and all the things I've come to depend on, to go into the unknown simply on the basis that you're calling me. I think you've got the wrong man. And what would God do then? 
Would God then just pace back and forward? Would he begin to bite his nails and think the eternal decrees of God and his purpose and redemption and his sovereign work have come to an end because Abraham didn't want to participate? Please understand the theological truth behind this passage. That when God reaches forth in love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, when he transforms us from the inside out, when he touches the deepest recesses of our hearts and souls, he does so in such a way that he sovereignly transforms us And we instantly know his love and grace. And from that point on, nothing else matters. And Abraham had no choice but to surrender and be submissive. And he willingly, knowingly, longing, with great passion, followed the call of God in his life. And at the same time, he was able to leave the past behind. And I wonder this morning... If some of us are living in the past, we celebrate it. We thank God for it. We're proud of our past. And this morning we gather in gratitude to say thank you for that heritage. But we cannot live there. And God never expects us to live there. And please hear this. Neither does he expect us to live with the wounds and the regrets and the sin of yesterday. As he called Abraham, so this morning he calls us to put the past firmly behind us and by his grace to take his hand and to walk with him into tomorrow, understanding that he will be there for us. And Abraham understood and grasped all of that, that a bright new day was coming and God would take him into it. Are you living in the past with all of its regrets, difficulties? And you need to put it behind you. And it may be this morning your prayer in the midst of this service is this, Richard, if only I could. You have no idea who I am, the thoughts I've had, the things I've done, the places I've been. I'm utterly ashamed of it. And someday that sin threatens to overwhelm me. If that describes you, you're not alone. In fact, welcome to the club. And Abraham understood all that, but he also understood this, that regardless of how far he had wandered, regardless of how heinous his sin, regardless how dark the place he was living, God in all his wonder and glory and majesty was calling him to leave it behind and have a fresh start and a new beginning. And all of that is wrapped up in the call of God to Abraham. It was for Abraham a seminal moment in his life. And he discovered this, that uprooting and isolation and no longer dependent on the past, 
or the props or attractions and trinkets of this world, when he put them all behind for the first time in decades, he had become the man that God had called him to be. And his deep and eternal dependency was now on God and God alone. Abraham was a wealthy man. Children, grandchildren, livestock, barns, cattle, land. He had it all. He walked away from it all to follow the living God. That's how powerful the call of God is. And he left everything in simple obedience. And please notice how the passage ends. Verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, and Abraham incidentally had gone some 800 miles between the beginning of verse 8 and by the time we come to verse 7, he's gone through Morah and Shechem and the land of the Canaanites. And in verse 7, and I need you please to hear this, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And Abraham called in the name of the Lord. Eight, possibly ten occasions in the Scriptures, you find that God appears to individuals. It's not a regular occurrence. Biblical scholars have given it a technical name, and it's known as theophany. It's not when God appears as a burning bush. It's not when he parts the Red Sea. It's not when a finger writes on the wall as we find in the book of Daniel. But God himself appears. He manifests in his glory and grace and wonder. The scriptures don't tell us what Abraham thought or how he felt or what he experienced. But it does tell us of the effect it had on Abraham's life. And it quite simply says... The Lord appeared before Abraham, and Abraham built an altar. And an altar speaks of sacrifice, speaks of worship, speaks of adoration. It underlines and scores for us devotion. Please hear that, not emotion, but devotion. And if you leave this morning thinking this, that Abraham was quite an individual, that you have respect for him and hold him in high regard, you would be quite entitled to do that. But hear this, I will have failed in my job this morning because this passage is not primarily about Abraham the passage is primarily about God. And understand this, that on seven occasions in these nine verses, you have in the English text the capital letters L-O-R-D. Again and again and again it mentions the Lord. The Lord is mentioned more times than Abraham. And he should be. He should be. Because on a Sunday morning, each time we open up His Word, we are going to focus on God. And that's what Abraham does at the end of this passage. 
he called upon the Lord. And it's almost as if God is saying to him, Abraham, in the days to come, you will go through some tough times. You will be frustrated. The challenges that come your way will threaten to overwhelm you. Abraham, at times you will wander from me and you will sin and you will sin badly and you'll get it wrong. But Abraham, I want you to understand this. You can always come back. You can always begin again because Abraham, understand this. And you will see it in verses 2 to verse 4 when God does what? He talks about himself and he says this. Look at it in the passage. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and I will be a blessing to you and I will protect you and I will lead you and I will guide you and Abraham, I will never, ever, ever give up on you. I will never surrender you to the circumstances of your life because I will be your God and you will be my people. And from this point on, we will walk together hand in hand. That's the covenant promise of God that he will not give up on us. And this week, this first week of a new month, if you find yourself with your back up against the wall, if you find that there seemingly is no answer to your prayer, that God seems distant and a million miles away, and you have no idea how to respond to the challenges before you, let me encourage you, please, as passionately as I can to come back to Genesis 12 read it again and then again and then again and what you will discover is this that God will speak to you through his word and he will lead you and guide you and all that you are facing you will discover that this passage enables you to face it understanding this the promise of God was not just for Abraham or for our forefathers, but it's for us today as well. And you will also discover that like Abraham, you get up off your knees in utter obedience and submission to him when you have called upon the Lord. And he will then lead and guide and direct your paths passage is primarily about the faithfulness of God. Let us pray together. Father, this morning as we draw our time together to a close, we ask that this week you would indeed speak to each one of us, walk alongside us, encourage us, strengthen us, enable us, May the promises of your word be real to us today and so real, so gracious, so merciful that we, like Abraham, will know the reality of what it means to be submissive to you, to surrender our lives to you, and to live in total obedience to you. Father, hear our prayers as we bring them to you this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
To purchase a DVD of today's message, please send a check or money order for $10 to First Presbyterian Church and include today's program number. For more information, call 864-672-1846 or visit our website at firstpresgreenville.org. Join us for Summer Bible Camp at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. Enrollment is underway for infants through rising first graders. Visit firstpresgreenville.org for details. 